sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message, Sanctification, Effort is Needed. The original date of this message was the 21st of August, 2022. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Jason. And I must say that this this sermon this morning, what we're going to be diving into again makes me feel undone. First service, I could feel the weight. This service as well. There's nothing sweeter to talk about this morning than what we're going to talk about, but there's probably nothing more convicting as well. So this is part three. We, we started a, a little mini-series in August going over what, what we hold to to be dear. These are truths that we will not back away from, that we will not give up. These are truths that we believe as a church are pivotal to our understanding of who we are, who God is, how to walk with Him, how to have a right relationship with Him. We started in Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but is God's revelation to us that God is so good, God is so gracious, that He's made Himself known to us through creation. And we can see His power evident. We can see His pattern. We can see the design. We can see that there is definitely a designer behind everything. And as great as that creation is, we know that it cannot do what? It cannot save us. So we need more. And so what has God done? God has poured out more of his special revelation. Clearly communicating to us through this, through the word of God. But not just through the word. Not just through the spoken word in the Old Testament that then was written. Not just in the New Testament, but culminating in God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And then from there, what did we see last week as Pastor Eric took us through the gospel? He took us through man, sin, and salvation. For there is no other way to be saved but through the Lord Jesus Christ. So where do we go from there? From there we go to, so what do we do now? We go to this, sanctification, and what I've entitled this sermon is Effort is Needed. And what I want to start our time off with this morning is some heart probing questions and I would ask that you would seriously consider these questions as I've been considering them all week long these are mighty questions the first one is this do you hate sin do you hate sin Before you answer too quickly, let let, let me expand it a little bit. When I say, do you hate sin, I, I tend to go to this. Oh, yes, I hate abortion. I hate the many, many lives that are lost. I, I hate adultery and what it does to marriages and to families. I hate idolatry. But all of that is focused on others. And it's real easy for me to hate those things. And then get right in alignment with God and say, yes, I agree, amen. So let me narrow it down. Do you hate your sin? Your sin. Your sin. Or or, or perhaps you're, you're not so quick to even count it as sin. What is God doing in your heart? What, what is your attitude towards your own sin? How does your heart respond to your own sin when it becomes apparent? You know how faithful God is? God is so faithful that on the morning that I'm preaching on this particular passage, I'm on my way to church this morning. I'm not really behind, but I'm not really right on time. I'm I'm maybe about two minutes behind. It only takes me ten minutes to get to church, so I, I still have an extra four minutes. And do you know who I get behind? I get behind the slowest Prius 
probably in all of Southern California. Everybody else is in a hurry except for this one. And instead of doing 45, they, they're, they're doing 30. No, seriously, 15 miles under. And the cars next to me are cruising by, so I can't sneak over there and go past them. Plus, I'm going to preach the sermon this morning. What, what would that sound like? And then this per person happens to turn right where I want to turn, and I'm not going to get stuck behind this again for longer. So what do I do? I keep going, and then the, the Lord allows the suburban to be placed in front of me who's going equally slow, five, minute, five miles under the speed limit. This may not sound like much to you, but this is my flesh wanting to take every desire that it can to pull me into becoming impatient, to becoming angry. And as the Lord continues to refine me and to prod and to ask myself this question, do you really hate sin, Jason? Not because this person might actually, after you cut them off or get right on their bumper and force them to go a little bit faster, not because they might actually follow you to church, see you pull into a church and find out you're a pastor. No, no, not because of that. See, that's where I go a lot of times. I go to the consequence of sin. But just hating sin for the sake of sin, that this is something that is grievous to my Lord. Is that where you're at this morning? Why should we hate sin? Because it matters to God and he hates sin. Because that is what salvation is all about. It's why Jesus came. The song that we just sang, do you recognize there's none of us that will be able to enter the presence of the Lord without that holiness? Do you know another word that you could use for sanctification is what? Holiness. You want a one-word definition of sanctification? Holiness. This matters. This isn't a small little topic. This is with serious intentionality that I bring this message to you this morning. Because this is what the Lord wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. This is why we have the Word of God, why we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so as such, it is important. But how does it happen? How do you and I become holy? Or more correct, how do you and I become more and more and more holy? How do we become more godly? How do we become like Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Do you know that there are some that have waved this flag, this banner high, and there are some that are still doing it today within Christendom that would say, what you must do is stop working. Stop trying and start trusting Sit back. Let go and let God. You're working too hard, Pastor Jason. You're making too much of a deal about your own personal godliness. Just sit back and it'll happen. There's 70 commands in First and Second Timothy that would beg to differ. Not commands to the Holy Spirit in me, commands to me. Commands to you, commands to Timothy. You, you remember? We kept coming up against command after command after command in the pastoral epistles. We're, we're going to see it this morning as well. Are you passive? Right now as you're sitting in this chair, is that a good representation of what your personal holiness looks like? It is not. There is effort that is required. There is effort that is demanded. Just relax, meditate more, do less, surrender, give up. Let go and let God. There, there is a point, yes, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is true. We must trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And in all our ways, we must acknowledge him. But do you know how that verse then goes on? And he will direct your paths. There's movement. And so we must move we must do something. And effort is indeed needed. But what do you think of this question? Can God look upon me? Let's be very practical. 
as I'm on my way to church this morning and, and this Prius gets in front of me and I get all in the flesh and I get angry and I get mad and I start honking and I start honking hard and in my mind I'm just throwing all sorts of inappropriate language as well and I'm just going crazy. As God looks at that, as God looks at me, is God displeased? Does God look at me and go, you know, that's covered. That's covered under my son. Because when I see you, I see the very righteousness of Christ, Jason. So you know what? You're good to go. First John 1, 9, you're good. Is that God's attitude towards sin? Can I grieve God with my sin? This is significant. Do you know what we do? We take justification and we just implant it onto sanctification and we think that there's no difference. There is a big difference. It's all part of salvation, but we can't mix the two up, make it into a cocktail and think, oh, you know what? I'm not involved in this whole process of sanctification. If you think that, then you're wrong. That's not the biblical answer. Turn with me to Ephesians. Let's, let's go there. And see what God's word says about this. Can I somehow grieve God with my sin? And please notice that this is written to believers. This is speaking to believers. Do you know how we can know for sure? Well, the verse tells us in verse 30. This is someone who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And look at what they can do to the Holy Spirit, to God. Do not grieve. This is a command. This isn't Paul commanding the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit isn't going to grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a command to the believers in Ephesus. This is God's word to them, to us this morning. This is possible. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You and I, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can vex the Holy Spirit. We can irritate him. We can offend him. We can make him sad. All of those are proper renderings for this word. We can make him distressed. And he is a person. Why is that? Because sin is something God hates. Listen, he doesn't just hate it in the life of the unbeliever. He hates it in the life of believers as well. And praise the Lord that if this morning you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and that you are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but don't take that for granted and recognize just how good our God is. Because it isn't just that he hates sin because it goes totally counter to who he is and what his character is like and because it dishonors him, which it does. But do you recognize that this is also just screaming at us God's grace? Because do you know what sin does? It doesn't just dishonor him, it wrecks me. It wrecks you. And God knows that. And so what he has done is he has and, and, and put into the whole plan of salvation this marvelous work where what he does is he makes us into the holy person that we are intended to be. Not perfectly, but right here, right now. What is he doing? He desires that we would be like him. Because he knows that the more we are like him, the more our lives will not be so what? Wrecked. And so full of misery and so full of pain, and so full of hurt. The problem is, we don't want to look at things the way that God looks at them. We want to take charge, and we want to be in control. And so what we'll do is we'll take something like justification, and we'll say, hey man, since I'm good, you know what? I can dabble in this. Do you have some sort of hidden sin? that nobody, not even your wife or your husband, knows. Because I can tell you right now there is someone who knows and it is grieving your God. Do you have some sort of pattern in your life that the Lord continues to convict you about, but you just keep saying, no, no, someday, 
Someday I'll get more serious about that. These are the, the areas that the Lord's been pinpointing me on in, in, in this lack, last week as I've been preparing this. Seeking the Lord. Do you know what the Lord's desire is? This goes back to the Old Testament. This isn't something new. This is who God is. He is holy. And so what does he say in Leviticus 19? You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is emphatic. This isn't you might be. No, you shall be or you will not be with me. And in case we would think, oh no, that's the Old Testament. That's God back then. He's, he's kind of different now in the New Testament. No, 1 Peter 1.16 recounts this exact passage. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Do you recognize this morning that God just doesn't desire for you to be holy? He demands it. Turn with me to Hebrews. This is a scary verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Because it lets us know that there is something required of all of us in order for us to stand in the very presence of God. And we tend to put this off. And it's why we don't think of sin as badly as we ought to, that we don't hate it as much as we hate it. And the reality is we keep thinking, you know what, I'm not as bad as that guy. Or I'm not as bad as that girl. Or you know what, I'm a little better than I was last year. Well, no, actually, I've kind of come back down again. And what do we do? We don't take our holiness that seriously. And maybe we even question and we say, you know what, it's, hey, that person that lives this life, man, they professed faith in Christ at a young age, and then they just walked away their entire life. They're good to go. This verse would say otherwise. This verse would say that unless you're the thief on the cross and you repent and then you die within the next couple hours, okay, then you don't get a, a choice as to whether or not you are going to be progressively sanctified. You are going to grow in Christ's likeness and grow in holiness on this earth. Everywhere, everybody else, that's all of us. We don't get a choice in the matter. God will make us holy or we are not his. And that starting of holiness begins at the moment of salvation. And without it, look at what it says. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. How do I know this isn't speaking of positional sanctification or what you and I might want to call, okay, in that gloried state, we will have the very righteousness of Christ. How do I know it's not talking about that? Because it tells us in here that we are to pursue it. We don't pursue justification. It is granted to us. It is given to us on the merit of Christ. You receive his righteousness. It's not something you can chase after. You couldn't get it even if you did. So this is not talking about your justification. This is talking about your sanctification as in the life that you live right now, your practical holiness or godliness. That if you are without it, there is a serious problem when you step into glory. And it will not go the way that you think it will go. Because no one will see the Lord without that happening. This process of sanctification What else do we know from God's word about sanctification? We know that it is God's will for us. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You could start in verse 3, go all the way to verse 7. Just write that down so that you can come back to it this week. For this is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. He's talking to each of us as believers. This isn't what the Holy Spirit is going to do. It's not like all of a sudden your, your, your will goes out the window and the Holy Spirit somehow commandeers you, you like a plane. And he's going to fly you wherever he wants to go. Do you recognize that when, when we become believers, do you know what God does? He changes us. He regenerates us. That means he makes us new. 
like, like we've never been before. And so as a result, we have new desires. We have new affections. We have this new nature. And yet it's not perfected. Just because we get saved, that doesn't mean that now your mind is totally spot on with Christ's. How many of you can say amen? I've recognized that every day. Instead, what happens with your, with your mind? Your mind, as we're going to see, is renewed. It's continuing to be renewed. That means your mind becomes more and more and more like Christ. And here's the caveat. If you are pursuing that, and if the Holy Spirit is empowering you, and you are not giving yourself over to your flesh. So how do we know that sanctification is so important? Because without it, you will not be able to see God. You will not be able to be in God's presence. That's how we know how significant this is. So, so let me give us a couple definitions. Just so you can have these to think through throughout this week. I think that the easiest most simplistic and simple definition is this, progressively growing in Christ-likeness. That's what it's about. Progressively growing in Christ-likeness. That this starts at the moment of salvation. You are now going by God's grace to become more and more and more like Jesus until when? Until you come to glory and then you will be just like him and you will be transformed. I put this definition in your notes, and I think J.C. Ryle is so good with this. I mean, he's long past and dead, so don't think that he's still alive with us, but any books you can read by J.C. Ryle would be worth it. Um, holiness. This is what he says. This is so, so good. Jesus Christ, this is a, 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 the definition for sanctification. Jesus Christ works in a man or a woman by the Holy Spirit, Doing what? Separating him from his natural love of sin in the world and puts a new principle in his heart, making him practically godly in this life. That new principle, I love that because it's not just one thing. It's a principle. It's all of these things combined together that you now have new desires. You now have new affections. Your mind is being renewed. And that's like a principle that the Holy Spirit is energizing to allow you to what? To be transformed and become more and more like Jesus Christ. This is what we see in Colossians. Okay, so all that was kind of like my introduction. Colossians chapter 3. Man, I could have taken us to all sorts of different places. I could have gone to Psalm 1. And we could have looked, even what we see in Colossians 2, 6, we could have talked about sanctification or being sanctified being your walk with the Lord. Psalm 1 is beautiful for that. Psalm 15 is beautiful for that. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, do what? So walk in him. I could have taken us to John 15. And we could have talked... About what? About abiding in the vine. What is that? That's sanctification. You're not going to grow in holiness unless you're abiding in the vine. But Colossians 3, these first 14 verses, I, I think do a good job of giving us this, uh, this is what I'm calling them, the three P's of sanctification. The prerequisite of sanctification, the pattern of sanctification, and the process of sanctification. Okay, I'm going to take you guys back to college because I had to go back to college and figure out what a prerequisite was. Okay, you have to have this class in order to take that class. If you don't have that class, you're bummed because then you have to take that class before you can take that class and then it might take you an extra year to get through school. You following me? Okay, so this, you cannot even think about being sanctified unless this happens. The prerequisite of sanctification, we see it in the first four verses. And do you know what it is? Justification. Regeneration, becoming a new creature. Being identified, being placed in union with Christ. If you don't have that, then we can't even talk about you becoming more and more holy. All you're going to be doing is being a legalist and trying to earn it and do it in your own strength and you will fail. So look at where Paul goes and he does this oftentimes before he ever talks about sanctification. Why? Because you can't put that horse in front of that cart. It does not work. That's not God's plan of salvation. 
You could say you could put the cart and horse right next to each other as to exactly when justification stopped and sanctification started. I'm not going to get into any of that. We just know that those that are, that are justified, they will be sanctified. Look at this. This is so incredibly encouraging that the Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So what is the prerequisite of sanctification? It is that you must be a new creation. You must have placed your faith in Christ and now as a result of that, you are united, you are identified with two things about Christ that we see in these first four verses. What are they? One, his death and second, his resurrection. You have been what? Crucified with Christ. That is not a bad thing, that is a good thing. Because then he takes the punishment, the penalty, and all that pain on the cross for you. And then he also allows you to what? To be reborn. And to experience new life with him. And that's why Paul says, man, stop living for everything here and now. Live for what you know to be already given to you in heaven. Through Christ. Keep seeking those things above. He's, he's pointing all of the believers in Colossae to the Lord as God and saying, man, this is who we live for. But it's only for those of us who have been identified with Christ. And that only happens as you place your faith and confidence in Christ. But let me just spend a little bit of time again going back to the difference between sanctification and justification. So that we don't get them mixed up. And that you recognize the part that you play and the part that God plays. So justification is what? That is a once and for all judicial declaration. As God is the righteous judge, saying you are now righteous. You have the very righteousness of Christ. He has declared it to be so, and so it is so. But you never see sanctification coming before justification. It's justification, then sanctification. Sanctification, on the other hand, instead of being this once and for all judicial declaration as a judge with a capital, boom. It's nothing like that. Sanctification is gradual. It's an ongoing transformation of man's nature. That we might become more and more like Jesus Christ in our desires, in our emotions, even in our mind in our attitude, in our affections. So justification could be seen then as imputing to the believer. It's imputed to us once and for all. Whereas sanctification is something that is imparted throughout our life. Justification, what does it deal with? It deals with the guilt of our sin being removed. Gone. Just, uh, sanctification, on the other hand, isn't so much the guilt of our sin as the pollution of our sin is in this process of being removed. It's not gone yet. Maybe the easiest way for us to think of it, at least me, is, is to think about you buy a car and the guy that you bought the car from was a smoker. And so you get in that car and at first it just smells like cologne, but then after the cologne disappears. Okay, this is going to sound much like this actually happened. And then you find out, oh my, this car smells. I, I can actually taste it. This is gross. Nobody wants a, a car like that. The, the cigarette, the, the smoker's long gone. And yet this car still smells like this. So what do you do? You, you try an apple because somebody said that an apple would work. No, that doesn't work. And then you try some of those sniff little things that you hang up there. Now, and you try when you plug in, and then you're, well, is this going to kill me more because it's all, you know, chemicals and all of that? Okay, so the, the point is what? That that is much like our sin.
that the pollution of sin is in the process of being removed. It's really not there. Your, your sin nature, it's been done with. But you know what? The smell is still there. And sometimes, even just smelling that, what does your, your flesh do? It's trying to pull you like it was doing for me this morning. And recognizing that is so helpful in this battle against it and over it so you can put it to death, as Paul says. Justification, I like this, is the work of Christ for us. Justification is the work of Christ for us. Sanctification is the work of Christ, what? In us. Justification is the work of Christ for us. Sanctification is the work of Christ in us. Justification frees us from what? The penalty of sin. Sanctification frees us from the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. And that's significant. That's helpful for us to understand. So first, the prerequisite for sanctification is indeed faith in Christ. We can see that in these first four verses. You can't go forward. Perhaps maybe one of the reasons why you are not able to kick this or to kick that, why you still keep struggling in sin, is you are still in your sins. That you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've been trusting in all sorts of other things, but you have not come to the cross, bowed and said, only because of you. I recognize that's the only way that my sins can be paid for in full. Do you recognize your need for a Savior this morning? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you understand that He is the only one who can offer you eternal life for He, just as He said in John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's the prerequisite. What is the pattern? This pattern might surprise you. This might actually offend you. You might write this down and want to come back to me and talk. What are you, what are you talking about? You're going against the reformers, Pastor Jason. Listen, write this. The pattern is not sola fide. By faith alone. No, that's justification. By all means, yes. Yes, we will wave the banner of the reformers in that for sure. By faith, by faith through faith alone. By faith Alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. But when we're talking about sanctification, it is this. It is faith plus effort. Your effort. Play, faith plus effort. Am I just making this up? No, this is what we saw in First and Second Timothy with those 70 commands. This is what we see in verses 5 to 8, and then again in 12 to 14. Here in Colossians 3, Paul likes to use this analogy. In fact, our, our co-workers from Papua New Guinea, Tom and Danielle Brendel, are here visiting us this morning. Served with us for, I don't know, 14 years or something before they moved on to a different ministry. And we use this as an illustration in, in, our, in our village to teach the Siawi people what this means. What does this sanctification look like? It's like you're taking off this old dirty shirt. And it was easy to find dirty shirts because everybody in our village had dirty shirts with holes and all sorts of other stuff in them. So what we would do is we'd take off our shirts and we'd put on these brand new, very white, sparkling white shirts. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he actually says. He uses the Greek word that is used for put off and put on articles of clothing. Look at verse 5. Even this, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. That could have been translated, put off this, for you put off that earthly body of yours. Speaking of what? Your flesh. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Why? Because you died with Christ. You don't need to live over there anymore. That doesn't honor the Lord. That doesn't help you. And then he gives us all these examples. All these things that will wreck you. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. What's implied? But not upon you. So stop acting the way that they do. The wrath of God is not upon you anymore. So live like the new child you are in God's kingdom. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, 
you also put them all aside, put off. And what do you put off? All, all aside, all anger, all wrath, all malice, all slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Notice that this doesn't just deal with the outward manifestations, but the inward. Where does anger reside? It resides in your heart. And so that is where you put it to death first. And as a result, you must know your heart. And you must recognize when your heart and that flesh of yours is trying to lead you astray. And you nip it in the bud right there. And you stop it before it turns into a great big fire of desire. Which will indeed wreck you. And so that is the the put off. The taking off of that dirty shirt. And then what do you put on? Well, that's where Paul goes in 12 to 14. And we'll hit 9 to 11 as our last point. So as those who have been chosen of God, remember he makes it clear, justification, then sanctification. He's not going to tell anybody to do anything unless he knows for sure they are saved. Otherwise, it turns into legalism. And you're trying to earn it. You can't earn this. This is given freely as you are chosen. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, that's, that's again that, that Greek word for putting on an article of clothing. And notice how much of this looks like Jesus. Put on a heart of compassion. Isn't Jesus the most compassionate person, man, you've ever thought of? You've ever read about? He is. He is the epitome of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus was as we read in the Gospels. That's who he forever will be. That's who he is transforming you and I to become. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You should become more and more like Jesus Christ who at the crescendo of all crescendos, he, what, shows so much grace and love towards Judas Iscariot. Does he not? Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Again, tying that to us as Christ's body. This is what we should be putting on over and over and over again is this bond of love that we would consider others more important than ourselves. So we see here that this this pattern is this faith and effort that you do, you bring something to the game, so to speak, that God doesn't desire that, that we would somehow sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else work. No, we're all supposed to be jumping in and putting forth the effort to do what? To die to our old life. To die to those evil desires that come through our flesh. But we also recognize that it's not just our responsibility, it is, but it is the work of God in us. We see this again and again throughout Scripture. I could take us to Romans six fifteen to 19. And there we see, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in what? Sanctification. Hey, don't keep giving in to sin and the death that comes through sin. Instead, present your body, all of your members, as slaves to righteousness. That's something you and I are to be involved in. We're commanded to be involved in. Hebrews 12, 4 to 6 says this, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your what? In your striving against sin. Again, the idea that we are pressing forward, that we are striving against this. There are ups and downs. Philippians. In fact, let's turn there. Philippians 2. We all know this verse. We, we, we tend to jump to the only front part. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. And we forget 13. And we must recognize that this is all God's grace. This is all God working in us that he changes our desires. And then he empowers us to move forward and to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, 
Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice that Paul can't be with them. And so what is he doing? He's reminding them, hey, when I'm with you, I'm spurring you on. Do you recognize that this is one of the chief desires that I have as your pastor? This is why I bring the word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for your sanctification. So that you would take this and the messages that come on Sunday and you, you would use it as a, as a launch pad so that you would go into the rest of the week desiring to be holy and that the Lord would use this. And it's why we encourage one another to spend time in the word because we know without the word that our minds can't be renewed. But he's saying, okay, so since I can't be with you, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking to believers. He's not saying, hey, work out your justification with fear and trembling. He's saying, work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It all points back to God's glory. That that is what he desires. And that is why he tells us, commands us to work out our own salvation. Recognizing that what he means is to bring this about yourself. This is in the, in the reflexive verb, which, which means that this is something that you must do yourself. Somebody else can't do this for you. You do this yourself. And make every effort doesn't mean that God isn't working in you. We work according to the power that is working in us. Tell me, what do you look like today versus five years ago, spiritually speaking? Hey, are the movies that you watch today a little bit more risque than the ones that you watched three, four, five years ago? How about what you watch on television? How about the books you read? How about the way you dress? How many areas of your life would you say, well, I don't know, Pastor Jason, you're getting a little personal. God's personal. He desires us to be holy. Do you know what that means? That means set apart from sin to him. That, that's, that's what holy is, set apart from sin to him. Okay, let's, let's flip it around. Let's, let's bring it into church. How has your view of church changed in the last five years? Do you desire to be here more now than you did several years ago? Do you desire to sit under the word of God more than you did before? Do you desire to, to spend time in God's word more than you did five years ago? Three years ago? Two years ago? What if you asked your wife or your husband, your friends? Do they see you growing in godliness? Are, are, are you the same or actually have you digressed a little bit? How about growing in love? Are you more like Jesus in love than you were last year? Do, do you see your heart bending and melding for people that before you're like, man, what, what, why would I want to pray for that guy right now? It's the Lord's working in your life. Are you growing in these areas? Or, or perhaps maybe are you more boastful today? Are you more arrogant than, than you were last year? Are, are you more quick to go off the handle and become angry. Sorry, these are the things that the Lord has been just pressing upon me. Lord, do I really look at sin the way that you look at it and my, my angry over sin? And do I hate it? And do I want it as far from me as I possibly can? Keep it. Effort is absolutely crucial if we want to become more holy. Faith plus effort. The prerequisite is indeed being saved. And finally, the process. The process is this. Progress, not perfection. This should bring out an amen from all of us. Because if God desired that we would be perfect right now in our sanctification, we'd all be lost. There are some that have said, oh no, we can hit perfection right now. And what they have to do is 
jockey and change this and that. And they look at Romans chapter 6 and they flip it all upside down and say, oh, that's before Paul was saved and this and that. Well, that's just not what we see in the rest of Scripture as well as a proper understanding of Romans. Paul's sharing his struggle as a believer. We're all going to struggle. But what God wants to see isn't perfection in you, but he wants to see progress. And where do I get that in Colossians? Look at verses 9 to 11. It's, it's given to us in this, in this word, renewed. What, what's, what's behind the, the verb to renew? That means that you're doing something over and over and over and over again, right? Don't you guys love going and, and having your registration renewed every year at the DMV? No, of course not. Oh, but this is, this is, this is much, much better. Because what is Christ doing? He is renewing us. Look at verses 9 to 11. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Notice that's, that's a done deal. The old self, the old nature, it's been laid aside. The moment of salvation. Do you know what you were given? You were given a new self. And that's why he says in verse 10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Where, Where does this lead? This leads to unity. That we are all one in Christ. And as Christ has his way in us, and as we see that this is a process, that as we become more and more and more like Jesus, you know what happens? We set all of our differences aside. And we're all about Christ. And we're all about loving one another. And that's why Christ's church is supposed to be this beautiful picture of his love on display so that when those outside come in, they say, man, what in the world is going on here? These guys love each other. But notice this is a process. This isn't spontaneous. This isn't change in an instant. This doesn't happen at just one point. It's why we call it progressive sanctification. And notice what's causing this renewal. The renewal of the new man. It's not the works that is is going on because that would then become legalism. Notice what it says in in verse 10. Have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge. It comes from the knowledge of God's word. That as God's word has its effect in our hearts and in our lives and as it renews our mind, then the Holy Spirit gives us the power to then go ahead and live this new life. And that's where the work and the outward manifestation becomes so visible to where you can see progress in my life by God's wonderful grace. And do you know what this does to your family, to your friends, to those that you are in contact with? It spurs them on and allows them to see, oh man, look at the change that is happening in that person. God can, God can do that in them. As lame as they are, I know that God can do that in me. And we see that in this the reason why we struggle so much with sin is because we still have the flesh residing with us. Yes, it's true from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But our flesh is still with us. And as a result of our flesh being with us, it's why we see Romans, in so many different places, the Apostle Paul saying that you must not gratify the desires of the flesh, like in Galatians 5, 16. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Instead, live for righteousness. And then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit and how those are produced. And as that happens, it's that progress that God allows us to slowly day by day, month by month, become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You see in Adam, all that there is is guilt. 
death, condemnation. But in Jesus Christ, there's justification. There's life and there's righteousness. And so as a result, we can be so thankful for the work that the Lord is doing in us. But we have to be reminded and we have to remind ourselves that, that though the penalty of sin has been paid for in full, that, that's, that's a done deal. And the power of sin has been broken through our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have been crucified with him. And so our flesh, our sinful nature has been crucified. But like that car still full of smoke, we still have the flesh. The battle over the flesh will be done. And so just as we, we recognize this is our only opportunity to share Christ with those who do not know him, that this is the only time that we have to play a part and to watch God work in our hearts and our lives as we dedicate ourselves to him, to becoming more and more holy and seeking his face with everything that we have and every fiber of our being and asking him, please, please, please make me more holy and allow me to play the part that you want me to play, changing my desires, changing my affections, drilling deep down into my heart so that when, when I get this Prius in front of me, I'm good with it. And I'm like, I'm fine if you want me to spend 15 or 20 minutes getting to church today, Lord. More time to pray for you. Or pray for the time in the service. To pray over the sermon. To pray over those that will be coming this morning. I'll just be completely honest. I didn't pray for any of you guys. <laughs> With that Prius. I just struggled in my flesh. And praise the Lord after about 10 seconds, the Lord gripped me. And he said, Don't, man, aren't you the biggest hypocrite? Come on, Jason. Let me close our time as Pastor Shane comes up. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for grace. For we are seriously undone without it. We bask in your infinite glory and your wonderful plan of salvation that you and your goodness, instead of just instantly zapping us all to heaven, you and your goodness, and in order to bring you more and more glory, you keep us on this earth so that we can tell others about you and so that we can be a representation of your work in us as you change us. May you change us more and more into the image of your Son, and may we play the part that you desire for us to play, that we would put to death the flesh, and that we would put on the new man and all the likeness of you, so that when people see us, that they would see you. And it's in your most matchless, wonderful name that we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.